Well, it's time to start another month. And this month, we are talking with a fellow audiobook narrator. He is the host of the Dorky, Geeky, Nerdy podcast. Gets your fill of 30 trivia questions every single week. You can find him at thevoicesinmyhead.com. And he is the narrator of 26-plus audiobooks. And his name is Brian Rollins. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Scott. This is uh, this is going to be yeah, fun. Yeah. So you and I met because um, I interviewed uh, Richard Wycliffe for the podcast at one point, who uh, wrote a book about my favorite place on the planet, Sanibel Island, Florida, and uh, it was about a hurricane that uh, came and just ravaged the island, and then of course. Hurricane Ian did it just like he wrote it. And it was, you know, so I'm like, I've got to get this guy on the podcast. And while I was interviewing him, we were talking about a book that you narrated for him. And I went and listened to the sample and I said, I want to talk to Brian. (laughs) So I'm so glad we got you here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, 20,000 kilos under the sea. It was uh, uh, a modern retelling of 20,000 leagues under the sea. Which is, you know, one of my absolute favorite books and growing up as a kid. And I'm sure, you know, everyone's seen the the old 1950s Disney movie, which is, you know, that's sort of everyone's picture of that one. And we all kind of grew up with that. And I was like, yeah, he, he reached out to me and said, hey, I did this this new you know, retelling of it. I'm like, I have got to get in on this. This this is it's like, even if it sells zero copies, I'm going to have so much fun. <laughs> Uh, narrating this one, um, and you know, it was kind of felt felt like it was right in my wheel. It's like, okay, I get to do some Russian accents, and I get to play around with some Cuban accents, and and just it was just a it just was just just from the summary, it was just like it just leapt off the page. I'm like, and it is one of those books that you know when I tell people because they'll ask like, what are you narrating now? And you know, sometimes like, oh, okay, and then but this one, it's like almost everybody's been like. I have to read this. It's like, so I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm like, awesome. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a, a hoot to do and just, just a lot of fun, a lot of characters, just a lot of, you know, the, I mean, the, 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 the base material is really good and he just takes it another step further. Almost as like, yeah, it's like, you know, you understand where, you know, the, the, the original Captain Nemo comes from, but it's like the new captain and the new characters. It's like, this is all stuff I understand. I, you know, it's like, it actually makes it a little more realistic and visceral. Um, and the, you know, getting into the mindset of, you know, a deranged submarine captain is just people that aren't into acting. You're going to go, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, this is actually a lot of fun. This is, this is sort of escapism. These, you know, these obsessed, you know, you're probably, I don't know if you're the same way, but you know, narrating villains or villains are way more fun to play than the heroes uh, often because they're usually a little off kilter or they're a little, you know, they're just more, they're more passionate about what they're doing. Whereas, you know, sometimes the heroes aren't necessarily. So they're, they're a lot of fun to get into their, their head uh, for good or ill. Right. right. Yeah. I I love the, you know, it sounds like you're a method actor, you know, much like I am, you know, and you want to embody those villains and yes. Oh yes. And a little bit later today, we're going to, listen to the sample that you uh, you recorded of that and we'll hear those accents and how you do make it just come alive with your narration. You can tell that you really enjoyed the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So before we start talking about narration and books and all of that stuff, let's let's talk about you. What what makes Brian Rollins Brian Rollins when you're not behind the microphone? Um, you know, I'm you know a dad, I'm a father, uh, you know, husband. Uh, my kids are actually grown now, so it's actually I'm kind of, kind of in that, well, we'll call it a midlife crisis, but just kind of that transition period in my life where it's like, you know, I, I really, you know, my wife and I are kind of at that stage where we're like, well, we could go travel a little bit more, or we can go do different things. And so, you know, go to the theater, we'll go to see movies, 
we both love playing video games. We found like the the, the Lego video games are fun because those are two player games, so we can sit there and play together. You know, in a couple of weeks, we've got the new Zelda game coming out, so that's good. But those are single player; those are going to eat up a lot of our time. But she may be like, "You go narrate. You go 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 read your books. I, I'm I'm going to go play for for five hours, um, and I'll see you later." Um, so it's, uh, but yeah, we've been, yeah, I've been married for 28 years now. It's been an adventure, but it's, you know, like I said, the kids are grown and it's kind of like, what do I want to do? And, you know, I've been narrating audiobooks for eight years now, eight or nine years. So it's been, you know, it's been an adventure, but it's, you know, that sort of thing where it's like, you know, I love reading these books, love being able to, to listen to other audiobooks. There's, uh, you know, so many great other narrators out there and that's the fun thing about about this is like you can sit there and listen to other people in your industry and enjoy yourself that's what you steal from but you know crib from it's like, oh i love that voice i'm gonna i'm gonna steal from that or i'm gonna borrow that a little bit but it's it's fun to be able to just listen to other audiobooks and how are they doing it how are how are the quote-unquote big kids doing yeah that? that's that's great i i definitely agree with you on on listening to others do our craft and and I'm I'm a big one that I'll listen and read along. You know, I'll get the book too, so that I can really see what they're doing. So, nice teachable moment there. That's that's great. <laughs> that's what we try and do. Exactly. Um, yeah, we have we have a, a quite a few similarities. I've been married for about as long as as you have a little bit longer. You'll you'll get there. Don't worry, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my wife and I are now officially empty nesters as well. And you know it it. It it is a new lease on life, and my my daughters are going to listen to this and say, "Hey, Dad, that's not nice." I love my kids to the end of the earth, but <laughs> oh, I love them, love them dearly. You know, my my daughter got married last year, and her and her husband live out in Seattle, and so it sucks having them far away. But on the flip side, Seattle's a nice place to go visit. Um, so you know, but you know, my son. He's starting college uh, this fall. He'll still be here, and I'm like, eh, it's okay. You know, he's like, you know, it's like, oh, you want him out? He was like, yeah, he can stay. He's fine. He works from home, and and you know, it's he does his thing, and he'll show up. You know, it's just like, just let us know when you're going to be here. For dinner. <laughs> yeah. So I know how to plan. I know how to plan dinner accordingly, which is funny too, because he'll go out and he'll be like, it's like, oh, he's not going to be here for dinner. Okay, you want to go grab something, you know, whatever restaurant, and we'll bring it home, and he'll come home and he'll see it, and he'll be like, "I wanted that." I'm like, well. "Yeah, <laughs> you snooze, you lose, <laughs> right?" Yeah. You've got a car, you know where the restaurant is. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Yeah, it's it's fun, but yeah, it's yeah, they're uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of at that age where it's like, yeah, they've all moved. You know, one's definitely you know, moved on, moved out, but the other, you know, still in the house. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your podcast for a second. You have a very unique uh, podcast with a great process. So, so talk about Dorky Geeky Nerdy. Sure. So I've, I've always loved uh, doing trivia, loved playing trivia. Uh, my wife always jokes, it's like, you can't remember anything, but you remember like the serial number off, off the Enterprise. I'm like, yeah, that's just the way my brain works. Um, so it's always been kind of that, you know, obscure facts and things. Um, and then I, I guessed it on a couple of podcasts with some friends. Um, and I'm like, well, this, this would be a lot of fun. There's nothing wrong with the trivia podcasts out there, but they're usually like live recordings of like a trivia night or something. And it just didn't quite work. And I'm like, no, I want something that people can play, you know, with their friends or they can play in the car. Most people, and I hear from, from people that listen to it and they're like, yeah, I listen to it, you know, in the car, on my way to work. There's a couple of guys, they listen to it. They're ambulance. They, they're an ambulance crew. And that's what they, and they listen to it. And I'm like, freaking awesome. That anything, you know, makes your night go a little bit faster. You know, I'm all for it. I, I've, as one, one lady wrote in, she said she listens to it with her eight-year-old nephew, um, which is like, I'm like, okay, because yeah. <laughs> um, there are people listening with their kids. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely keep it, you know, it's, it's, it's all usually, you know, sometimes the material, like I did an episode on Mel Brooks movies. I'm like, yeah, an eight year old kid probably hasn't seen a whole lot of Mel Brooks movies, but he's probably knows the Avengers backwards and forwards. So, you know, I try to do different topics every week, you know, on a, just a whole different variety of topics. 
Um, and then people, you know, people write in, they, they suggest things like somebody suggested Pokemon. So I'm like, uh, you just try to try to keep it bouncing around. And it seems to be that's what what grabs people for most of 2022 was I went through all 50 U.S. states. I did one episode for every state. And you could see the the stats go up and down for each state. <laughs> like, you know, the smaller Midwestern states, not as much California, huge spike. And I say that. But then again, like Hawaii, I think Hawaii was like my most popular state episode. Uh, people were Googling Hawaii or Hawaii trivia for whatever reason showed up. I picked up a ton of listeners that like, they just, oh, I just discovered your show, Bob, you know. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, I get, I get really fun. Unlike audiobooks, I get a lot of really fun feedback with the podcast because they're like, they're like, oh, I listen to this with my family, I listen to my friends, or I just yeah. listen to it on my own. Uh, I know people that they, they they diligently keep their score and they post it every week, um, and so it's a lot of it, it's just it's like a different vibe because I just thought I'm like, oh, I just want to do this, and and maybe you know maybe people listen to it and then they'll turn around and listen to my audiobooks. The, the the Venn diagram doesn't overlap super well, but but I do have I've picked up a few audiobook listeners from it, but they're just they're like they're loving they love the show, um, and it's yeah I'm fifth I mean I'm just started you know, my fifth season, and it was like I like this is just a lark, and it was like in 2019, um, you know, and it was like it was kind of like okay 2019 everyone's listening to it blah blah, blah. 2020 hits. The pandemic hits. All of a sudden, everyone's stuck at home. No one's going to pub trivia night. They needed something. Boom! There it is. And people discovered like all of like the back episodes of, of season one, um, and then they started be yeah started becoming avid listeners. And uh, thankfully, they've stuck with it. Um, but it's you know it's it's been it's been fun. Um, and you know I can uh, it's it's a fun little thing to cha you know challenge me to do a little bit of research. You know, some episodes they just fly off my fingers, and I just know exactly. I know all sorts of stuff. It's like Star Trek, Star Wars. I got that, um, but some of the more geography ones, I'm like, I got to go do some digging because I don't know anything about Brazil. <laughs> like, I know very little. You know where Brazil is, and I know they all speak Portuguese. Question should always elicit one of three responses: I know that, I should know that, or I didn't know that. But that's yeah. a really cool thing to know now. And so I try to keep that in mind. And that's like, apparently that's what the, the primary rule for Jeopardy is, is people should, and you should never walk away. It's like, nobody knows that. Why would anybody care to know that? So I try to avoid those questions, but I try to make it so it's like, if you don't know it, and then, yeah, the, the title kind of came from, you know, dorky, geeky, and nerdy. The, the three rounds of the questions is super easy. I shouldn't say super easy. Because there's people, if you don't know anything about the thing, you you'll, you won't know the frown one. But, you know, most people know it. And then, you know, we sort of winnow it down in the geeky round and then the nerdy round. That's Those are going to be a little more hardcore questions. And so those are a lot of fun um, to come up with those. And plain and simple, go dive right into it, you know, because it's like, that's what I love about Jeopardy is you get, I forget how many, you know, they'll, they'll knock out like 80 questions a, an episode. Uh, I'm only doing yeah. 30. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the success of it. That's that's fantastic. And it is very cool. You ask a question, you do get a timer, um, and then you give the answer. And then, um, you know, some of the questions, not all of the questions, which is nice, mm -hmm. uh, you give a little background, a little history of it. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it works. Yeah. It works real nice. And it's a quick listen. You know, the episodes are like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Right. You know, yeah. um, and exactly. it's not easy. <laughs> I it's I went nice. 19 and a half for 30 on the Massachusetts episode and I live in Massachusetts. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I've I've had people like especially the state one. The state one's always got people like I didn't know that about my right. own state. So you said you've been narrating audiobooks for about 8 or 9 years. How did you get involved in in this craziness? So the first books I ever narrated were children's stories for my kids. And I just enjoyed doing that. I just enjoyed, I'd, I'd done theater in high school, I'd done improv. Um, and I had always enjoyed doing different character voices and things like that. Um, I was always the kid that was making goofy voices in the back of the classroom. Um, as most of us probably are. 
Um, but then I started, narr- you know, I started writing the kids' books, and I'm like, I really, this is a lot of fun. And so on a, I just decided to just create myself. You know, I went, I had like, I got like a gift card to Amazon. I got a nice microphone, set it up, and created a profile on ACX.com. And then I reached out to some, uh, some of the fiction, short fiction podcasts, like, what did I do? Podcastle, I think was one of the first ones. Yeah, Podcastle and Pseudopod. Podcastle is a fantasy. They do sh- original short fiction and Pseudopod does horror. And they're fairly, you know, they, they were, you know, this was early, early on. So I, you know, I sent my demo to them and they said, oh yeah, we, we'd love you to, to narrate a couple of short stories. And I started with that. Um, and then I think I took snippets of those, made those on the demo. Uh, and then I kind of forgotten about ACX until an author, J.B. Sanders, who uh, writes the Glenn and Tyler series, he reached out. He's like, I love your voice. Would you read this? And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at it and it's like, I'm like, okay. And it was, it was this really interesting story. It was like, it was about two guys that are college buddies, college friends that fall in love. Um, and they, and one of them inherits like a metric ton of money. Um, and it's just sort of this, you know, adventure mystery story. And I was like, okay, this is fun. And so I started narr- I narrated the first couple of those. Then I had another author judge me about a vampire novel. I'm like, okay, why not? And I did that one. I did a bunch, you know, just like I've done those. And then I've had, uh, Another series, um, very similar in the same vein as Glenn and Tyler, uh, Nick and Carter, which is another wealthy gay man, but they're in the 50s. So that was different. Um, and he he started writing, um, that was Frank Butterfield. He started writing those because he was a fan of the Glenn and Tyler books. And he's like, I want to be able to do this. I love, he's like, I love this, but I want to make it historical. Um, and so those were really fascinating because it's a look into gay culture in the fifties, what it's like, you know, he touches on McCarthy, the McCarthy hearings. Um, I think I'm four or five books into that series as well. Um, and like we touch, like they meet, uh, at one point they meet Robert F. Kennedy when he's, and I didn't realize Robert F. Kennedy was an aide to McCarthy in in the in the fifties. I'm like, well, that's not something the history books really mention a lot. So I had to do this Robert F. Kennedy impression, which took some time because I'm I do character voices. I do not consider myself an impressionist. Don't necessarily do impressions, at least to my ear. Other people have said that it's like, no, that's close enough. And I'm like, eh, maybe it's my ear. Maybe I'm just too picky. Um and Robert the Kennedys have such a distinct I mean you're from Massachusetts. You it's like John F. Kennedy and his brother Robert and and Teddy, they they had that they had a very distinctive voice, and that took me some time to like get to where I was comfortable with it. But I've done you know it's like like one one of the Glenn and Tyler books they had Matthew McConaughey as a celebrity. I'm like oh, okay, all right, well this is not that one's not too bad. I have relatives from Texas. I can I can summon up a Texas accent. Um, and you know, he's, he's got a distinctive voice too. So it's one of those things like, and I, I gave him a hard time cause he's like, yeah, I wrote it. I didn't think about yeah. the audio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's certain ones it's like, cause there's times I was like, I'll have phrases that it's like, takes me like eight tries to get, or, you know, 20 tries to, there was one. Yeah. I can't remember which one. I mean, it was Shatterpoint. It was, one, it was just, it just this phrase that on the paper looked perfectly fine. It took me like 20 tries to get, and I just like, I'm, and I like emailed the author afterwards. And I'm like, if your ears were burning, it's because I was cussing you out because of this phrase. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, on paper, that looks fine. He's like, yeah, try saying that out loud. He's like, nope, no way. And I'm like, he's like, he's like, I can change it if we want to. I'm like, no, I finally got it. I finally got it out of my, out of my head. But it was just like, it's, they're like, and it's funny too, because he's like, Cause it'll, it's funny because listen to these, you know, I'll throw feedback to these authors and he's like, cause they, they'll listen to a chapter and it's like, yeah, I had three guys, their names all start with T of a Ted and a Tom and a, you know, Timmy or something. He's like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. You did fine. He's like, you gave them all distinctive voices, but it was Tim said, Tom said, Terry. It was, yeah, it was like a Tim, a Tom and a Terry all in a conversation. He's like, I oh am my. never doing that again. That was 
that was on me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But he's like, those are the things you do. He's like, I don't think of those things on paper when I'm writing these things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you gotta, gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta think that through. And it's kind of fun because, you know, a couple of, several of the authors I work with, like, like I said, the Glennon Tyler, Nick and Carter, I'm five or six books each into those series. So I have a good relationship with the, with the authors. I'll, you know, I'll throw them feedback. I was like, you know, I think, I think at one point he, as he was writing it, he threw me, it's like, can you do this accent? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Accent. He's like, okay, I'll keep that character. I'm like, the character will still be from, <laughs> wow. the character will still be from such and such country because he wanted, because he knows that it's like, he's like, he's like, it's important. And he, he you know, it, what country they were from, it just had to be like Eastern European or something. He's like, it just had to be somebody from Eastern Europe or something. It's like, can you do this one? And I'm like, yeah, I can pull that one off. I, I enough practice and I can, I, you know, of course, you know, it's like, you know, with actors, it's like, can you ride a horse? Sure, I can ride a horse. <laughs> Do you know how to sword fight? Of course, I know how to sword fight. <laughs> Gotta run out of it. It's like, you know, I've, I've talked to actors who learn in Hollywood. And they, it's like they lie, like, <laughs> like they wouldn't believe on their resume. Sure, I can ride a horse. Yeah, I know how to stage fight. I know how to tumble and, and sword fight. And um, sure. And then they run right out and start taking classes on how to ride a horse or how to sword fight or whatever. Yeah, that's why they're actors, because they can pretend to be anything. Exactly. <laughs> it's good acting on their resume. Yeah, and I talk with clients all the time about how we narrators have such an interesting perspective of the manuscript in that it's probably the first time the manuscript has ever been read word for mm -hmm. word aloud. And we find things editors miss. We um, find phrases that work, mm -hmm. like you said, on paper. Uh, I find myself sometimes breaking those down into sounds. So I'm not necessarily thinking or saying the actual words. I'm mm -hmm. saying the sounds mm -hmm. of the words and it comes together and works, yes. you know? <laughs> so we have to come up yeah. with these tricks. And, and, right? that's, and that's the fun thing is like, yeah, I think a couple of the authors that work, they said then now part of their, their proofreading process is reading it aloud. They just walk around and just read it aloud. And it's like, that's an ugly phrase. Um, or that just doesn't flow off the tongue. Um, you know, it's, you know, I think Harrison Ford said that of like George Lucas's dialogue. He's you know, like, a, they did like a roast or something. It's like, you can, you can write this stuff. You can't say it, George. It's just like, they don't, humans right. don't sound like that when they talk. And so sometimes they just, yeah, they started, that was like one of their, their final checks is they just read the book out loud to themselves. And they're like, nope, <laughs> that phrase, that's like, that sounds like Yoda just said it. I'm not, <laughs> we're going to fix that. And, you know, it's a really good way to, to, to find, you know, for what they, you know, what writers call character voice. Uh, we have a different idea of character voice. Um, so they, you know, they read it aloud and, and I think several of them said, yeah, that's really helpful because it's like, yeah, I just realized that character A and character B may sound the same and they don't, they use the same word choices and same such and such. He's like, yeah, he's like, they'll sound different when you do it because you have, you'll, you'll get one of a, a deeper voice and one will have a higher voice or something. So you'll make them, but they'll sound the same. They'll, they'll sound like they came from the exact same background, the same education level. And they shouldn't because, you know, different people have different cadences or different word choices. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to be able to do that back and forth. Um, that's the, the nice, I, probably the nicest thing about being, working with self-published authors. Obviously, they're not going to change that book, but like the next book or, you know, whatever. Um, and when you, when you develop those relationships with other authors uh, with these authors it's over time it's you know they start to do these things um but yeah it's it's, it's interesting because yeah. yeah like the the one i'm one of the ones i'm working on right now playing with fire is uh, the there's a girl that's along with the main character she's german which is fun to do a german accent there's a lot of german words so i'm like <sighs> i'm like oh, i gotta figure out how to, it was like oh what's that care you know that it it I had to figure out like it's called an S set is a it kind of a double S, but it's got a it looks like a beta character in in in, in English. Um, so I had to learn what that was because I didn't speak I didn't take German in high school. I took French. 
Um, so I'm like, so I'm like, yeah. oh, I got to learn some German words. So I kind of pushed back to the the author and I said, hey, can you give me a list of some of the, the more hairy <laughs> German words? You know, he's going to, he's working on getting that back to me because it's like, yeah, the, I, I want to make sure I'm getting these right. Because there's going to be a German speaker listening to this book going, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> it's like, what an idiot that you don't pronounce it like that. And so I've got to, you know, thank, thank God for websites like Forbo and things like that. That was just like, okay. And then I write it, you know, I write it out, you know, phonetically and put it in the, in the manuscript or I have a little post-it note with the word and the, and the phonetic sounding next to it. So I have it there because I know it's coming up in this chapter. So this, this book's, this one's been kind of a crash course in German, which is fine. Um, I love, you know, learning. It's always love learning, obviously, with, you know, with trivia podcasts. It's always fun to learn new things, but it's like, now I know how to pronounce this German word. And now I know how to pronounce. That's what that character was. Because I, I saw it in German all the time. I had seen it, you know, printed in German stuff and things like that. I'm like, what is that? Oh, it's basically a double S. Um, and so once I knew that, I'm like, aha. A clue, Sherlock. So these are fun, right. fun things to to learn, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. I think you know, one of the Glenn and Tyler, the some of the characters are Russian. He actually put Russian text in the book, and I emailed it back, and I'm like, dude, really? And he's like, oh, yeah, because nobody's supposed to know what they're saying. The main, the the POV characters don't know what they're saying. I'm like, yeah, but I gotta read it, and he's like, oh. Sorry, so I had to pull those. Thankfully, it's copy. Bless Google. <laughs> it's like, that's what that word is. That's how I pronounce it. Go and do that thing. Um, especially because like Russian, it's like in German, I could take a swing at it and get 80, 90% there. Russian, it's like oops, Cyrillic does not translate into those characters. They may look the same. They are not the same characters in English. So I'm like, nope, not even gonna come close to those words. So I give him, I give him a hard time. So he's like, yeah, maybe next time I'll just say they said something in Russian. <laughs> I'm like, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, but he thought it was funny because he's like, like, oh, again, he's like things I didn't think of. And and there you have it, listeners, authors, and narrators alike. A masterclass by Brian Rollins in. All of the challenges exactly. that we as narrators encounter. There's there's only two that you missed, Brian. Um, what you do when your neighbors get Harleys and uh, leaf blowers. And, <laughs> uh, and I I I did a series for for Dorothy May Mercer, and I think it was like 17 books. And one of one of her books she had. The, the leading man sing to the leading oh. lady. And before before people go off on it, I, I know lyrics and and singing in audiobooks and written books are absolute no-nos. Don't do them. We did check. They were mm. in the public domain, so we were safe. But yeah. yes, authors and narrators, be very careful about yeah, song lyrics uh, and poetry. They don't play around. So... She had this song and I'm like, oh, I'm going to impress her. So I went out to YouTube and I learned it. And when the character sang it to her, I actually sang it. And so then she started like pushing me. And in one of her later books, all the characters get drunk oh, in this no. party and they start singing in round. There was a hole. There's a hole. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. <laughs> so I did it for her and she was like that i wanted she said that wasn't in the regular book i just wanted to see what you would yeah. do with it and, yeah i mean this yeah it's fun because yeah there's certain things you can do in audiobooks you can't get on the page um like i said it's like one of like the probably the best audiobook i think in the in that i've listened to in recent memory um i don't know if you've, it's uh, project hail mary um andy weir's uh, project. I don't want to spoil too much. I don't want to spoil it because if you haven't listened to the audiobook, go. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, if you like The Martian, you're gonna love this one. Uh, but there's certain things in the book that I think work better in audio. I mean, it's it just it, I can't. I don't want to spoil it, but it's just absolutely brilliant the way they do it in the 
in the audiobook it just in because i was like i listened to it and i'm like oh my god and my son who loved i mean he's, he like listened to the martian like five times in a row um and so you know and he loves the movie and my i was like my, i'm like my wife uh, she listens to audiobooks all the time and i'm like you, you gotta listen she's like oh my god yeah this doesn't she's like this was written for audiobook she's like this wow. would be this actually i think is better in audio form um, because there's certain things that happen that are just brilliant in there, but it's yeah, those sorts of things that are certain, certain, certainly inter- more interesting. But yeah, yeah, because you get that that fine line between audiobook and audio drama, which are both fun. I've always like kicked around the idea of like doing doing audio drama because I, I like I said, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, love Star Wars. The Star Wars audiobooks are sort of like on the line between audiobook and audio drama because they get away with using sound effects in the music from the movies and usually i mean it's uh it's mark thompson narrates most of a lot of those and he does a freaking awesome job of it uh he's a great great voice actor but yeah they get away with that but it's like it's star wars it's like yeah you hear the star wars yeah. music you hear those sound effects are iconic and it works for those um but it's like yeah for other ones it may not necessarily work um but there's you know a fine line between those two but yeah, it's always those. Yeah, it's like I listen to some of those and some of the ones, the uh, audio drama. Uh, what's the one? My kids. I used to listen to Redwall, uh, Brian Jake's books. The Redwall ones. Those are all full cast, and those are yeah. fun. Those are great. Right? If you're looking for a good road trip book, well, buy mine first, and then you can buy, buy Brian. Jake. Uh, <laughs> but, no, those the Redwall series are fantastic because it's a it's a full cast. Um, and you can tell they're all in a, a booth together. I could, it just has that vibe. They're clearly having way too much fun. And, you know, I'm like, that would kind of be fun to do. But I'm like, yeah, there's none of that going on here in Denver, Colorado. So I, you know, I have to be in like, I have to be like, I think actually, I think they're all in London. I think they did theirs in London. So but those are, those are fun things to do. But yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, singing. Yeah, I think I think the couple of times I've had those, I just read the lyrics because I'm like, nope, this is a pop song from ten years ago. If I sing this, I'm going to get a call, um, and not the good kind. Um, so it's like, yeah, I just read it, and I think I had the author. He's like, he's like, can you sing it? I'm like, no. Well, he's like, I can. I'm not going to because he's like, oh yeah. I'm like, I mean, we could get into the whole fair use like what pers- what what times is like do we really want to get into that do you want to get into it with your lawyers and he's like no <laughs> like just read it yeah. and you know uh, again for authors that are listening uh, you know the quick answer to that fair use is yeah. zero if you know if <clears throat> you can't have lyrics in a book if it's not in in um uh public mm-hmm. domain it's just it it's not worth unless you have the, if you've paid for the rights yeah. that's fine and and you should pay for the rights but you know so uh, you mentioned buying one of your books rather than listening to Redwall so why don't we um let's take a second here and well not a second we'll take a couple of mm-hmm. minutes and let's listen to a sample of this 20,000 kilos under the sea and and yes listeners don't adjust your speakers you heard us correctly 20,000 kilos Earlier on, you were talking about how this is a modernized retelling of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. This is written by Richard Wycliffe. Can you set the, the scene that we're going to listen to, Brian? Yeah, the, the scene is it's one of the early, early chapters of we're, we're in the boat. We've got um, some smugglers coming up from Cuba. Uh, so we're in the, in the, in just off the coast of Florida, um, and people are smuggling people they're smuggling things they shouldn't be smuggling um you know drugs and things like that and it's it's a boat a speed boat as you know that are constantly crossing the ocean bringing people and 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 uh, contraband across um and they run into what they think is a sea monster um and if you're familiar with the original that's i believe it's remember that's how kind of the original starts off as we lose a ship and so these are characters. It's like a, a mother with her children, you know, with a small child trying to escape Cuba uh, to come over to America to, to, to get a better life. And you know, the, the unscrupulous people that she's with, um, and they run afoul of something in the sea. Let's give this sample a listen. 
The silhouette of a 33-foot boat appeared on the horizon. A crescent moon projected a silver thread on the vista, with just the tranquil lapping of the waves. The serenity was pierced by a boat's engines, and then the sound of a crying infant. Silence that child or it goes below. The smuggler barked in Spanish to the scrawny 18-year-old mother. The eyes of a dozen Cuban migrants turned to the girl. They were clustered on the boat's deck in a virtual heap. They sat gaunt and terrified, only wearing rags. The hands of the young mother, Mariella, trembled as she struggled to comfort her bawling three-month-old son. The child inhaled and howled, inconsolable. The swarthy smuggler stood at the console of the renegade powerboat. He was barefoot and fat and wore a squid-stained crystal beer t-shirt. Beside him hunched the captain, who made the run a thousand times. The leathery man had pointed shoulders and knees that quivered with energy. Our cargo below is worth more than a kid. The captain shouted in Spanish, The baby goes overboard if Rao is not here soon. Mariella gasped. She cowered over her child, creating a shield. The refugees around her huddled closer. The smuggler laughed. The captain flicked a cigarette at them. All heads snapped toward the drone of a vessel. The captain rummaged through his cluttered console to find binoculars. He aimed them to their rear. It is a scarab. He adjusted his lenses. Thirty feet long. He turned to the smuggler. It is raw, finally. Everyone on board squinted to watch. Two hundred yards away, the approaching boat's lights twinkled through the gloom. The captain lifted his radio. Rao, hurry or we'll all be dead. The scarab accelerated toward them. Mariella blinked at the comet. All be dead? What if their lights are seen by authorities? Was there a chance they could be saved? Mariella involuntarily smiled at the fantasy racing through her mind. Saved. Brought to America. Proper care for Ernesto. She turned to the men at the controls. One fat, one skinny, and both repulsive. They would certainly rather flee, endangering all their lives to save their own. Mariella looked to her right and left. Jumping overboard with a baby would be futile. They were miles from any shore. Her son would certainly drown. Perhaps they had a better chance of surviving remaining on the boat. Mariella held her son closer to her throbbing heart. She glanced at the others. They'd been picked up at a port in Mariel, 40 kilometers west of Havana. Cobbled together by a local gang after they'd each paid their tarifa de boleto, passage fee. Mariella knew none of them. They remained in tight cliques, only murmuring to each other. No one spoke to her, and everyone glowered when her son cried. Mariella inhaled, suppressing another surge of tears. Everyone watched the scarab accelerate towards them. The deep growl of its engines became more prominent. The migrants looked at each other, unsure of what this meant. The smugglers had said something about a delivery. With the lull of waiting, the refugees traded silent glances. They'd been scolded to not open their mouths. All eyes conveyed the same emotions. Fear, despair, curiosity. The three-foot seas sloshed their boat, and the incessant diesel fumes were nauseating. After a pause, everyone jolted at a deafening crash. It was the scarab, a hundred yards away, the air filled with an abrupt crunching of steel. In a flash of confusion, they saw the scarab's lights launch as if striking rocks. Before anyone could grasp what they were witnessing, the scarab exploded into a fireball. Dios mio, the smuggler shouted. Was it a missile? He looked skyward. The captain tensed. He then revved the boat's triple Yamahas. Mira, Ali! Elderly migrants pointed behind the boat. Look! There. They motioned to the sudden wake following their trail. Fifty yards away, a wedge-shaped spew of water was approaching fast in the darkness. 
Well, there you have it. 20,000 Kilos Under the Sea, written by Richard Wycliffe, narrated by Brian Rollins. It's available on Amazon.com, Audible.com, and Apple Books. Uh, It runs 12 hours and 30 minutes, so a great value for your your money and some good escapism and, and just being able to go away. And Brian, you did such a nice job in that sample with the the accents and working the narrator into the story. Um, really good work on that. Thank you. It was, uh, like I said, it was a lot of fun to do that one. And it's very, it's yeah, a lot of different characters, a lot of, you know, it's a very tense uh, thriller. Um, it's, you know, and, and it's got, there's that weight of, you know, the, the original story has got so much history. So many people love, you know, love that book love the old Disney movie. Um, and it's really fun to kind of revisit that, but give it, give it a, a more tangible modern feel to it that, you know, it's like, Oh, and it makes sense. Everything in there. Cause it was, you know, everything in the original, I mean, with, you know, it was sci-fi, but it was like, you understood Nemo, you understood his, his motivations. You understood the madness that drew, drove him. It's the same for this one is is the captain is is very much a character you understand you very much understand the 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 change and what you know what he's doing um you know the the geopolitical climate of you know all of these things i don't want to give too much of it away but you know how the sub comes to be in the in in that area makes sense uh even though as outrageous as the concept is uh Richard did a fantastic job of pulling from modern life and modern, you know, what's going on. Um, he's a, he's a great author and he, he really cribbed from real life, uh, real life events of, you know, there are submarines going missing. Certain superpowers have had their submarines go missing and they, you know, so these sorts of things, it's like you do these, you put the pieces together and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you know, so it's, it's one of those really cool things when an author can crib from real life and go, you know, it's like, here's A, here's B, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, take it to the next step um, and go to C, um, you know, what he describes really hope never happens, but it's one of those things like, oh yeah, that totally could happen. Um and at no point, because it's like, yeah, at no point is anything not believable, as outrageous as the as as the premises and and what happens. Um, at no point you're like that could never happen. You're like that could really happen. Um, and so that was one of the things that really, in, I mean, a just just being a, to to reread, you know, the, the give a, a new spin on the Jules Verne classic was that sold me right there. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I don't care. I'm in. Um, just, just the concept alone was like, I'm in, I'm doing this. Um, and then the more I got into it, I'm like, oh, I made a really good choice. Um, cause you know, it is, we don't always necessarily, you know, make those good choices or be able to, to, to do those things. Um, but that was one of those ones like, oh, this is really, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that's like, I could totally see this being a movie. Um. You know, if, if anyone, any Hollywood producers are out there, please you know, make make this into a movie so that the the audiobook sells a bajillion copies. Because um, <laughs> it, it would, it would be absolutely fantastic. And because I even mentioned it to my wife, and I'm like, she's like, okay, and she listened to it. She's like, yeah, that could totally be a movie. It's not quite Tom Clancy ish, but it's it's kind of Tom Clancy adjacent. Um, which are, are books that I, I loved listening, you know, reading and listening to those audiobooks back in the 80s and 90s. Um, those are fantastic. But yeah, it's like that was the other thing was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I get to read my own version, you know, my own hunt for Red October, so to speak. Um, you know, we, you know, hopefully my Russian's better than, than uh, uh, Sean Connery's. Um, <laughs> But when you're Sean Connery, you can get away with it, right? Yeah, that's true. We have to be a little more. Yeah, that's true. You can get <laughs> you know, away on with it. Like everyone's like, eh, whatever. We get Sean Connery. Yeah, the rest of us don't have that luxury. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like what you were saying. You know, one of the things that I like about Richard Wycliffe as an author is 
he's a really good thinker mm-hmm. in, you know, what could happen. And, and it doesn't take many stretches of the imagination to say, whoa, you know, as I was talking about earlier with his um, book, um, uh, Storm Chasers, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a hurricane that comes ashore on Sanibel Island and it happened. And exactly what he wrote about in terms of the thievery and, and all of that stuff happened almost like his book was the, the blueprint how to guide. Yeah. yeah and that's, so, yeah, that's, that's when you get a good authors. Yeah. When they're thinking, you know, you know, if you're paying attention, you do those things like here's a, here's B, what's C going to look like. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, 20,000 kilos was one of those books where I was like, yep, that makes perfect sense. As crazy as it is, but we live in, you know, it's like, yeah, we all, you know, we live in kind of those crazy times. Like, how do we get here? I'm like, well, here's A, here's B, here's C. Oh, right. I didn't think that would happen, but yeah, once you once you connect the dots, it makes sense. But it's still outlandish. And you're like, I can't believe we're here. Why are we here? Uh, but yeah, the yeah, exactly. It's like you just have to pay attention to to what's going on, and and that's what makes the most sense. Um, and in good, especially good like sci-fi thrillers like this. Um, I think a, a couple other ones I've done that are like similar vein. It's like the author just simply takes A to B to C. It's like, how do you get, it's like, oh, you just draw the next logical, awful, usually awful conclusion, um, you know, because I think part of it is our brains don't want to think that that thing is going to happen. It's like, yeah, it could. Um, and that's what the, you know, for good or ill, that's what those, those really good authors do. It's like, they go, What's the worst thing? It's like here's the here's where I see the line. What's the next step, and how bad could that be? All right, well, I'm gonna write that story, and so that's that's usually you know usually they, they think it all the way through and they're paying attention to those things, um, and that's how the really good authors are. It's like, yep, I could see that happening. Um, as awful as that thing is going to be, or right. how crazy is that going to be? So it's a lot of fun to 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 be a part of that. Yeah. So let's talk about how you get there. Um, you know, my my narrators in the SER classroom, the narrators that are on my, my team of the Scott Ellis Reads narrator team, uh, they know my workflow. They know mm-hmm. my procedure uh, for for them, for narrators that are listening and authors that that are listening. What is your approach? So an author contacts you and says, hey, I'd like you to you know narrate my mm-hmm. book. You go through it and decide, yes, I'm going to do it. Tell me about your your workflow and your process of how you approach this. So, I, you know, I, I get the book. Once I kind of read through it, decide, yeah, I think this works for me. Um, you know, you know, I, I don't turn down a lot of books because, um, you know, I don't see a lot of, of, you know, I'm still kind of still trying to get up to speed on things and get, you know, get engaged. I, there have been a couple. It's like, you know, the protagonist is a, a teenage girl. I'm like, you should go find a female narrator. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not going to do this justice. Um, so, you know, first and for, you know, no, you're like, yep, I can do this. I can work through this. I got all these accents, you know, all the characters in here. Um, then I kind of work my way through it in, in, you know, color code. Um, you know, I use like a, a, I used to use a Kindle Fire. Now I have a, a nice little Android tablet, but I highlight you know, the character dialogue and give at least the main characters like their own color codes. Um, so that right off the bat, because sometimes the uh, attribute tags at the end of the, the dialogue. So it's like, who said that? Um, and so, you know, highlight them, give them their own color code, uh, kind of walk myself through it uh, right in the, you know, if I have the ability, right in the phonetic pronunciations of, of unusual words or unusual names. Um, so I make sure that I've got those kind of written down or on a post-it note if I know I've got those coming up. But just kind of read through it so I know where the characters are going. Um, like some of them, it's like you don't know who's saying anything until the very end of the book. So you've got to make sure it's like, okay, i got to establish that character. Can I get away with using their voice? No, I probably can't because then it, it gives the mystery away. So I've got to come up with a separate voice for that person because they're unknown. Um, so yeah, you got to come up with different voices and then just kind of pull apart how, you know, the physicality of them, you know, bigger characters tend to sound deeper. 
smaller characters, you know, kind of come up with, you know, are they high energy characters? You know, are they nervous characters? So they're going to talk a little bit faster. Are they slower, more, more ponderous characters? They're going to have a slower rate of speech. Um, I like to give thugs, like I give them an underbite. <laughs> for, that's like my go-to for thugs. They're just, oh, you're going to make it. Yeah, you know, different things to do, different, you know, you know, people that get in fights a lot, you know, they may have a dis their jaws out of whack. So you just mess, you know, you can do different things with your face. I do gesticulate a lot for the characters and for good or ill, you know, I'm sure it's like, ah, I moved my hands too much and it made noise. I gotta redo that take. Um, but you know, different things that because it's like you 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 know, you stand up, you slump, you you know, what are the character like? Um, like the, the first ones I did went in Tyler, Glenn's a big guy. So he's got a deeper, you know, I, I just make sure he's, you know, whereas Tyler's smaller, he's got a, actually Tyler is my voice. He's like just my default, um, voice. Um, cause he talks the most. I'm like, I'm just gonna make him me. I can save myself a whole lot of trouble. Um, but you know, Glenn's a bigger guy. He's like six and a half feet tall. He's a big, thick hockey player kind of guy so i'm like he's gonna say you know he's gonna have a deeper huskier voice but then you know you got to make different character choices like one of the characters in glenn tyler they're everybody's it's like they're the guy that were he's like they're how do they refer to him as their major domo they're they're sort of our assistant kind of and he's you know the author didn't give him an accent or anything but i made him texan because he's ex-military so i'm like he's got to be from the south i'm gonna make it and i gave him this gravelly voice and I realized he's a main character through all the books. So I gave him this rat, this gravelly voice that just wreaks havoc on my voice. I'm like, ah. So if there's any advice I'd give to, yeah, make sure you pick characters. If it's a main character that you can, you're going to be doing a lot, make sure you just tear your voice up. Um, yeah, so that was that was a bad choice. But he's got such a distinctive voice that everyone loves him because he's got this gruff. Uh, John wrote it. He's like, yeah, I didn't make him from the South. I didn't even think about where he was from. He's like, but he totally, it's like, but yeah, I think later books talks about him being from Texas because it was like, because I didn't think that through. Um, and then he, well, it was like another character that was a bodyguard and he's like, oh yeah, that guy's British, but I didn't decide he was British until the second book. So can you re-record, you know? So fortunately he caught it while we were in post. He was proofing it and he was like, I didn't tell you he was English. He's English. Um, because the next book takes place in Scotland and it's important for him to be English. And I'm like, good to know. He's like, but that was something he didn't, he didn't have in book one because he hadn't made that decision because it was just, he just taught the, the character just talked and did whatever. And, he had no accent. Fortunately, yeah, the author caught it and went, that's on me. Uh, can you just re-record his dialogue? Fortunately, it was only like 10 lines, so it was not, not a big deal. But I was like, but that's important. It's an important consistency to have from book one. And it's like, I'm like, if you ever go on like um, audiobook fan you know, forums and stuff, that is like their number one complaint. It's like voice inconsistency pronunciation inconsistency um you know even even mainstream but i won't i won't throw certain narrators under the bus because i well one i know he's passed away um but he is he read he read a fairly popular fantasy series and the fans are livid because they can't stand that he changes the voices from chapter to chapter he changes pronunciations of character names and it's like I'm like, oh, but I'm not going to speak ill of the, the dead. So, but it, yeah, right. those are the sorts of things. It's like, oh, and it's funny to listen to. It's like, if you ever go on, like on uh, the audiobook forums on like Reddit, you'll hear those people. It's like, they routinely have threads on what's the one thing narrators do that you hate. And they're just like, okay, good to know. Good to know. Got that. And okay. Yeah. So there's certain things that's like, yeah, oh, yeah, they, they want consistency. They want, you know, they hate it when a narrator changes mid-series. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I sympathize, uh, what was it, the Stephen King's Dark Tower changed narrators, but that was because the, the narrator unfortunately passed away. Um, so they had to change it. People were 
kind of annoyed. They were like frustrated, and then they found out why. And they're like, "Oh, sorry, okay, <laughs> like, oh, that's that's okay." But yeah, you change a narrator, um, you run the ire of your your listeners. Just just so you know, you never fire us. We are ne- you cannot fire us <laughs> ever. No. Um, yeah, the, the that you know those sorts of things. It's it's amazing to listen to what they they their 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 unsolicited feedback on on what they think of the art form because it's like oh they pick up on that and these yeah. things is like hmm I didn't think they caught on the, and it's like oh they they really do pay attention to those sorts of things that they're you know it's like oh I can't slack on this even you know it's like. I got to make sure you such and such. I got to make sure that that, this is like a pulling New York accent out and, you know, there's going to be New Yorkers that are listening to it. Um, it's, it's like a German, I got German words. I got to pronounce them correctly because it's German, a girl from Germany saying German words. It's got to sound right. Um, yeah. But the other character, he's an American who has the, the, one of the plot points is his German is awful. So he's got to pronounce his German poorly. Uh, which is not a hard thing for them to do, um, but her <laughs> her German has to be precise and perfect, and as Germans do, because Germans are very proud of their language, and they're going to, and there's going to be somebody who speaks fluent German's going to listen to this book and go, this guy doesn't know what the heck he's doing, um, you know they they you know they're they're going to pick up on those things, so you've got to really pull those pieces together and really understand, you know, what drives that character, what's going to, you know, wh- you know, what they're going to do and, and what they're going to say and how they're going to do the things. And they're going to be able to do, you know, the listeners are going to pick up on those things. Um, and so it's really about, you know, finding what drives them really getting, because you've got to read the book and you really have to read the book. I mean, really get the subtext. Um, you know, I listen. I listen to podcasts about writing as well, um, and you know, listening to things like you know, how do you understand subtext? How do you? It's like, yeah, you've really, you know, as an audiobook narrator, what's on the page, you've got to be able to perform that. It's like if they're being sarcastic, you've got to get their sarcasm. They're going to be if they're aloof, if they're cold, if they're you know, th- those pieces that are just on the page, you've got to pick up. And so sometimes the subtext is on the page is a little more subtle. An audiobook gets less subtle because you're hearing it in their tone of voice. You're going to hear somebody's displeasure or their, you know, if somebody's mad at you, you know, they're mad, they're going to be more, you know, they could be more forceful, though they could be more withdrawn, like they're cold and curt and they talk in a clipped voice. And so those sorts of things, you've got to be really paying attention to how how they're doing things, you know, there's five different ways to, you know, you know, you, you say the sentence, if you don't get the inflection right, you're missing, missing it. So you've got to be able to, you know, redo that take. And it's like, I had to redo this because, oh, no, they're being sarcastic. Okay. Uh, jump back, try that again. Um, so you just got to be kind of, kind of, you know, being able to, to pick up those things in the text. Um, but also being able to to improvise. Um, honestly, I think I did some theater in high school and college. But honestly, I think my when I did improv, improv is probably one of the, the coolest things to learn because um, you got to pick up a you know sometimes it's like oh there's a secondary character I got to pull a character uh, here. <laughs> it's like it's like they only have like five lines in this one chapter, so I've got to pull a whole new character out of thin air uh, that I may not have thought about ahead of time. So you just got to make a character choice and go with it. Um, yeah. So there's there's both a little bit of planning, but there's also kind of playing it by ear to 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 really play around with it and and just be comfortable with the fact that nope that didn't work. We're going to try that whole chapter again. Yeah. Well, Brian, I really appreciate the uh, the diligence of your approach, the the thoughtfulness of your approach, and I think you know it has to be done. You know you you. I'll have authors that, you know, say to me, why does it take so long or so much money? You just turn on the microphone and read my book, right? It, 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 no, I would never do that to you. Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's, unless it, um, yeah, unless it's like a dry nonfiction tome, um, 
it's it's you've yeah. got to have you've got to have inflection you've got to have motivation it. you've got to have each of these things and i mean i don't know if you've talked about it, but, you know like people are like in the different forms they're all worried about ai and i'm and i'm a little worried about it but i've heard the read of it and i'm like yeah but it's got one character every character is going to sound exactly the same there were some that they did i think they they, they mimic like scott pratt or something and they did a fantastic job of it but then they didn't get characters it's like right. it didn't get the sarcasm it didn't get that this person was angry it was just a straight read so people you know if, if your bread and butter is like dry you know i shouldn't say dry straight right, nonfiction because right. <laughs> i like nonfiction too um and there, there's yeah. some really good audiobooks out there but if yours is like straight nonfiction, yeah i could see ai yeah, maybe might be coming but for fiction, I mean, it depends on what the audience wants. If, if listeners bomb straight, flat reads, um, then yeah, we could we we could be in for trouble. But otherwise, it's like, could you you know, it's like, could you imagine Jim Dale's reading of Harry Potter as a straight read? No, it's you've got to have those five hundred some odd characters he created for the for the for the book. So you've got to really be into it and i don't think the you know i don't think ai is there yet i say that i'll say that now yeah. because i know i know that you know eventually it could be i don't know but it's like yeah i've listened to it i'm like yeah that's a that sounds human but it doesn't sound like an audiobook um right right yeah and there is so, a difference so i think i think the audience yes. is going to <laughs> they may be like oh these are you know it's like is Apple that was offering it up for for the it's like and I saw these authors like oh yeah we can, we're all gonna jump on this um and then those same authors were screaming about when Chat GPT came out and all of a sudden there's AI written books and they're like <laughs> they were all mortified that that like well it's like yeah you were fine when narrators were gonna lose their job and now it's your job and it's like ah you should have thought it all the way through um but yeah it's yeah it's it's right, a read right. but it's not and it sounds decent. It sounds human-ish. I mean, you and I, we're going to hear it. We're going to like, yeah, that's, I can hear an AI voice. I can hear it. Uh, to the untrained eye, or untrained, untrained ear, um, I don't know. I don't know if they'll hear it or not. Um, I have to ask my, my, well, my wife listens to audiobooks way more than I do. So she might, she might pick it out too. But it's like, yeah. It, it's, it seems to me that it's one of those things that, they may not be able to put their finger on why they don't like it mm. as well, but there is a reason they don't like yeah. it as well. You know, and, and I think you, you touched on it with the emotion and the different character voices and, you know, so yes, human read audiobooks are, are still the way to go and we're going to promote that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, right. I mean, there, there is, you know, obviously we want to keep our jobs, but two, I think it's an art form and I think it's like, do you, you know, you, you want you want art produced by artists, not art produced by a computer. It's like you know, it's like seeing the AI generated art. That's cool, but it's sterile. It, it has a, a that's that, maybe that's the word. It's just, there's a sterility to it, which is fine, you know. And and I get it. It's like people who are blind that need a textbook or a news article read, read to them. Absolutely, this is fantastic. Having an AI read it. Um, my, my wife does audiobooks. She's dyslexic. So she, you know, she'll pull up the Washington Post and they usually have a thing that says, read this article to me. And they've got an AI that reads it to her and it sounds decent, but it's a news article. So it's just, blah, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's just information. It's not emotion. It's, and for her, as, a, as somebody who's dyslexic, that works for her because she can get through the article a lot faster than it would be to, to read it through. Um, and I try to explain that to people. It's like, yeah, there's, I get it. There's, there is a re, there is a good use for this, uh, for people who are blind, who people who can't read very well, um, that have a disability that somebody can't, you know, you know, those sorts of things. Absolutely read the news articles, read textbooks, because, you know, we can't sit there and read everything. We can't be, you know, it takes us time. Um, and I know there, are, you know, there are people that that's what they do. They're they're hired out and they do those things. But it's like, yeah, those take time and take money. Um, whereas an audiobook or something that's that's an art. That's a piece of art versus just a piece of text. 
Um, right. And I think those sorts of things that are, those are, there are uses for it, right? And I'm not opposed to it. You know, I was like, oh my God, we can't, we have to stop this. Like, no, we don't have to stop it. We just have to understand what it's good for. Um, and what, what can we use those things for? And, you know, it, it falls in the same line of it's like, you know, are audiobooks really, are you reading, are you really reading a book? Um, and it's like, yeah, you're reading a book. It's like, well, it's not the same thing. It's like only people that are reading the book have really got the material. I'm like, that's really ableist to say. Because um, like I said, I live with a dyslexic. Um, she'd never get through. It wasn't until she kind of, dis- you know, discovered audiobooks um, and that she started tearing through them. Now she's read way more books than me because um, I was a fast reader and I read a lot of books. She's way past me. Um, she just tears through audiobooks left and right. Um because now she can, um, and she's yeah. she's consuming the same material um, that somebody who read the text is. Um, the advantage is she knows how to pronounce everything. <laughs> I always joke, it's like, you know, when people, like, they talk about like a, a fantasy book or something, and they pronounce the name of a character, and I'm like, no, it's actually pronounced this. And I'm like, well, how do you know? I'm like, because I listen to the audiobook. <laughs> right, right, there you go. So yeah. I know that that's pronounced this way. Um, Assuming that the narrator got it right. In the classroom, we used to talk about, uh, you know, in my when I was teaching, um, you know, give people who mispronounce a word some leniency. It means they learned it by reading, you know? So, yeah. Exactly. Well, Brian, it's been so great talking with you, but also you as a fellow audiobook narrator, somebody who gets it. I just... I've really, really enjoyed this. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is Brian Rollins. Uh, You can reach out to him or check him out at thevoicesinmyhead.com. Or better yet, you can listen to him. Listen to the Dorky, Geeky, Nerdy podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, listen to him on audio, 20,000 Kilos Under the Sea, written by Richard Wycliffe. Or, you know, one of the other nearly 30 audiobooks that he's narrated. Brian Rollins, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Scott. This has been a blast. Thank you very much.